19 of the Pilot's Journey podcast, where we discuss aviation, proficiency, and enjoying the journey. My name is Stuart Stevenson, a.k.a. Pilot Stu, a private pilot in North Dallas. And my name is Stuart Stoll, a.k.a. CFI Stu, a certified flight instructor near Fort Worth, Texas. And I'm Mike Hart, a.k.a. Mike Stu, a private pilot aircraft owner in Idaho Falls, Idaho. This episode, we'll be discussing CFI refreshers, preparations for Air Venture 2010 in Oshkosh, poker runs, and other flying fun. High rep. So, Stu, what are the renewal requirements for CFIs? Well, uh, to get it done before your your CFI expires. <laughs> and that's every two years, right? Uh, yes. Yep. Every two years. At the last day of the month that you had it required acquired. And that can be done either through a, a FERC, a flight instructor refresher clinic, or through activity, right? Well, through FERC. Um, so if it hasn't expired yet, you can do a FERC to renew it. And then if it does expire, you need to do a check right again. Well, reason for asking is, uh, I think a few episodes ago, I mentioned how I had switched flight, flight instructors just to kind of get a different take on uh, the commercial rating since it's taking me forever to kind of get through that. And I have a fi- I have a feeling that this is going to be really good already. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Well, my new flight instructor is a good friend, and he's been flying uh, air ambulance uh, in a citation pretty heavily for the last uh, two and a half years. And so he hasn't really been doing much teaching, so he didn't qualify based on activity to renew. And he went on vacation uh, on June 25th and returned on, Jan- on July 2nd to discover that uh, by golly, his CFI was up at the end of June. And oh, no. <laughs> he, he, he called me just totally brokenhearted, and I fully understand why, and uh, said that we'll probably be working on CFI together. Oh, so you're going to go for your CFI now? Well, probably at the rate I'm going on commercial, it may take a while, but, uh, but he's going to have to take a check ride again is what it came down to. And uh, he, he was kicking himself because he knew it was coming up and had forgotten about it. He's been so busy at work lately that uh, he normally is on a, uh, I think, a four-day, 24-hour on-call schedule and then two days guaranteed off and then another four days of on-call for 24-hour, uh, or actually for four days straight. That sounds about right for air ambulance. And uh, unfortunately, he's been flying most of those times uh, at all odd hours when he's on duty. And so he, How is that unfortunate that he gets to fly all the time? Well, because those two days that he has off, he ends up sleeping the whole time. Right. <laughs> and yeah. he let it slip that he didn't have his CFI perk in on time. So at this point, he's going to have to take another CFI check ride. Uh, as I understand it, he doesn't have to do another written, but he does no. have to do the check ride, and uh, he can do it with a, a DPE as opposed to an FAA inspector this time. So in that sense, it might right. be a little easier. Yeah, well, uh, some DPEs are worse than the FAA, but... <laughs> well, at any rate, uh, I have one very, very disappointed friend. Yeah, that, that's horrible. It, to all the CFIs out there, do not, do not let your CFI expire. Uh, even if your career has changed, if, you've left, if you don't even plan to ever fly again, don't let it expire. I have, I've, when I've uh, been a flight instructor especially at American Flyers because they have that online FERC. I have CFIs come in all the time saying that they accidentally let it expire and they haven't flown in 30 years and 
they should have kept it up because now they have to do it all over again. And well, I will probably end up back with my original flight instructor, but um, at the pace I'm going, it it is really going slow. So I haven't put a time frame on when I tried. I'm going to try to finish commercial now between some some work commitments and other things. It's been tough to fly, but um, at least I can use my my good friend as a ground instructor, if not a flight instructor. Now, are you yeah. finding that the the difference the distance between uh, sorties out flying and practicing that uh, you lose proficiency, so you're regain having to replow ground that you've already plowed before compared to when you were flying more frequently? Definitely. Uh, if I go two weeks, I can see the rust. Um, and in this case, it's been almost four weeks. And I'm sure as soon as I can manage to keep a plane uh, scheduled at the same time I'm available, uh, it, it will probably be pretty ugly that first time out. Now, is that, is that really, uh, Stu, is that from the standpoint of a CFI doing those quick courses, is that really one of the reasons to do the quick courses, just basically maximize the, uh, you know, you get, you get your rating in the minimum number of hours because you don't have that degrade, degradation between uh, training events? Um, I don't know about getting it done in the minimum hours, uh, but absolutely, yeah. The, um, more often you can fly during the week, the faster and the less the money you'll spend on your training. Absolutely. I see it all the time. And, and I find that the sweet spot, uh, really, yeah, say, what's the optimum. There's gotta be an optimum between flying every day and flying every two days. I tell students, uh, uh, that if they can fly at least three times a week, that they'll, they'll be done very quickly and probably on or under budget. So um, it's usually more of a money issue. If you can, the more often you can fly, the more money you can save actually, because you'll get done faster and in less hours. As an example, Stuart uh, hasn't flown in four weeks now. He'll probably have to have a refresher lesson now and then an additional training lesson to go with that, right? So there's another lesson that he's probably going to have to spend money on. We'll have to start with one of those things in the floor for. Yeah. <laughs> so... So, yeah, so I find that the uh, about three times a week um, is, is optimal. And um, the very minimum would be once a week uh, that I would tell my students or else you would be doing refresher courses. Definitely two weeks and with me as an instructor, two weeks, I could see that someone's got to relearn at least one aspect of their training. I found that twice a week was probably the minimum to not have to retrace three times a week was great. I didn't get to do that very often uh, once a week. And there was always that first, you know, 15 to 30 minutes is, is just getting comfortable again. And, and Oh yeah. Now I remember. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, I mean, it's different per person. I like the three times per week. <laughs> that, that's going to be, that's one of the challenges for me on, uh, you know, getting ready to retake that IFR is the fact that, you know, I want to retake it after I've had a, you know, kind of a barrage of flying so that, you know, if I go from, uh, you know, I, I, I've done a lot of remedial lessons and work on, uh, on the stuff that I messed up on. Uh, and, and that's all, all well and good. But if that was two weeks ago that, and my, my new check ride will be, you know, three weeks or two weeks hence, uh, basically it doesn't do me as much good as, uh, in fact, that's one of my uh, incentives to fly to Oshkosh is the fact that if I could if I could find a CFI to go to Oshkosh with so that I'm 
on the road trip to Oshkosh getting eight hours with a CFI. I mean, I think eight hours of flying is going to be good, but eight hours of flying and then to be honest, if I did some training, it's going to be 10 to 12 hours of flying because I'd have to, you know, do a few approaches every airport I go to. I'd have to do something novel that's under the hood to really, you know, advance my IFR skills because if it's just VFR flying, I'm, I mean, it's, it's good in that I'm, uh, increasing proficiency in the plane and familiarity and, and just, you know, getting my, the airplane dialed in, but that's not really the issue. The issue is the procedures. So mm-hmm. that's one of the things I'm, I'm looking for. I'm, I've, I've gone online to the, um, uh, a or EAA. You can, there's places where you can pick up hitchhikers, basically virtual hitchhikers. But, uh, for the most part, it's people wanting rides to Osh. What I'd really like is uh, CFIs wanting a ride to Osh. <laughs> well, I know a few. <laughs> <laughs> you know, t- one, in, one in particular. <laughs> I can start walking now and you can pick me up. Maybe I should fly, have you fly to Idaho Falls and join me there. Make you my CFI. Although, I don't know, you're, you're, you, you intimidate me with, with your acumen as a CFI. I probably wouldn't pass. You, you'd just say, oh, no, no, you're not. No, no, no. <laughs> he hasn't thrown people out of the plane more than, what, four or five times? <laughs> no, no. I've never, I've never thrown anyone out of the plane. I have hit, I've had to hit a student once before um, <laughs> well, uh, to, save, to save my own life. But I was say to regain controls. Yeah, yeah. He got us in a spin, and Ooh. he wouldn't. Oh. He wouldn't let go of the yoke, so I couldn't recover. And uh, yeah, we weren't we weren't exactly we weren't exactly that that high of, of altitude. So I kind of wanted to recover quite quickly. <laughs> so I was forced to uh, hit his forearm hard a few times. And then let go. <laughs> but the cast came off in a couple of weeks. Right. Yeah. Exactly well, right. Yeah. Well, he. he <laughs> You may have, you may show up in a police blotter, blotter, but not the NTSB. So I guess that's an okay thing. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> well, he he was understandable, and um, you know, I know several several incidents of airplane crashes that happened with the student freezing up on the controls, and the instructor couldn't release his death grip, so to speak. What's funny is I, I I've read those NTSB reports and and thought, man, and you know. It pays to be uh, to you know kind of look at your student and say, "Can I can I out bench press this guy <laughs> or gal?" <laughs> because mm-hmm. the uh, the whole idea it's that the adage in Idaho is uh, always go hiking with somebody who's slower than you in grizzly country. Well, you you know why that you're supposed to keep a flashlight with you in the cockpit, right? <laughs> it's not it's not in case the power goes out. It's in case if you hit the guy and he doesn't let go still, you can pull out the old flashlight. Right. Yeah, the, the, the 3D cell mag light is probably a little overkill for night vision, but it's pretty good for cold cocking the, uh, the, the guy at the yoke. If my two options, if my two options are we're both going to die or he's going to die, I'm going to go with plan B. And so the, the mag light will come out. So... <laughs> <laughs> I have no qualms uh, about saying that. So yeah, so you want to be my student? <laughs> I was going to say it's like, man, now I'm really intimidated here. Uh, That's quite a recruiting technique you have there, Stu. Yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. 
So do you ever have any issues with the positive transfer of control? Um, it, it usually escalates quite quickly. Um, it, it usually starts out with my controls and then no, really my controls and then hitting the thigh saying my controls then hitting the forearm, saying my controls, and then going for the face after that. Then the uppercut at that point. Yeah. <laughs> and then the flashlight. <laughs> then the flashlight. Recently had some more fun at that same airport. With, with the po- we started uh, the poker run at, uh, at Idaho Falls Airport, um, and this was um, for the Idaho Aviation Association. And I think this was their first year trying a, a poker run. It was a real success. The... Uh, so we flew, you pick up a, hand, a single card uh, at the Idaho Falls, and they had all the airports throughout Idaho were participating, or at least a lot of them, maybe not all, but uh, they were all pre-designated and had cards there. So you grab a card and uh, uh, write your initials on it, sign it there in front of uh, the person you're picking it up from. Then we flew from Idaho Falls to Twin Falls, uh, where I got to do a lot of work and approaches under the hood. So I did uh, a lot of approaches and holds and various things I needed to practice under the hood. And then uh, we continued on to McCall, Idaho, which is where the uh, uh, at noon you had to present your hand and uh, the uh, Idaho Aviation Association had all kinds of booty uh, to give away, which uh, this is my plug for them, which, uh, it, it's basically an organization that strives to keep access to airports in Idaho open. A lot of focus on backcountry, but to be honest, it's, there's just general aviation uh, airport advocacy is really their mission. Uh, but in this case, it was just a social event, and, and the McCall Airport is just a beautiful airport to come in on. Uh, we, were, we were flying in just, just beautiful puffy clouds, and neither – Neither Roger, my uh, co-owner, or I had very good hands, so uh, we, we weren't destined to win any poker run part, but uh, we did have a, uh, a nice uh, barbecue, uh, and then uh, the, the meeting of the, the Idaho Aviation Association, which is fl- flyidaho.org, and uh, yeah, the poker run was great. Uh, lots of giveaways for the general membership. A good chunk of the membership of the Idaho Aviation Association is uh, folks from out of state because so many people enjoy uh, Idaho backcountry runways really on vacation uh, and and just places to visit. I know, you know, Kent, Pilot Kent has uh, been out here and taken uh, classes at McCall and flown into some of the backcountry airports. And there, there's a lot of real, real easy, reasonable ones as well as uh, – uh, more challenging airstrip. Well, Mike, what's the status of your instrument rating? And are you going to use the trip to Oshkosh to try and uh, work on your instrument procedures? As we all know, I, I did not pass my uh, IFR check ride. And the way the, this, and, and, and Stu, you'll know that the way this whole thing works, the, uh, you, it's not that you have to take your check ride again in 60 days. You have, but if you don't, any, any section that you did pass, uh, the DPE can choose to retest you on. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's in your interest to take it again within 60 days because then you uh, kind of get credit for the places you, that you did pass. But it's fully at the DPE's uh, discretion. And I did call <laughs> my examiner, and uh, he only is available to do check rides every, every three weeks. And so, so – he um, basically is going to 
consider me passed on the oral, passed on a couple of the approaches, yeah. and so I don't have to retake the entire thing, even though well, I've gone beyond, will have gone beyond my 60 days. Well, it's that's good. I'll, I'll have to say in my experience with DPs and examiners that they, um, they really want to get the check ride done as fast as possible. I hate to say that they just want to get their money and go, but... I get that feeling a lot for most of the examiners <laughs> that they, all right, let's get this, let's get this examination done. And uh, so I can get home by five, you know? And so when they have these 60 day expirations, they may come in and ask you like one or two questions and then be like, okay, you're still good on that. Let's go finish up the rest. So right. um, when well, he told I, me basically that, you know, he, he uh, uh, works as a, I think a campground host up in uh, the sawtooths. And uh, so he's, not available. So, uh, he was wondering what happened to me. And then basically I've just been swamped with work and I've been working out, obviously working out my, my issues and just logging more hours and getting more familiar with the, with procedures, et cetera. Um, but I also know the clock's running out. I, well, I also, in between, I, I, I did take a, an eight day vacation going down uh, the middle fork of the salmon on a raft trip. So, so that was one extra Ooh. little thing, which was, uh, did you do it under the hood? <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know what's interesting is I, I I did I was attacked by a tree on the river. I uh, oh, uh, <laughs> what? Oh, it's a long story. There's there's a bunch of hot springs along uh, the the middle fork of the salmon. It's in in the in the wilderness, and uh, I was at camp. And alcohol might have been involved. Uh, you know what's interesting? Alcohol was involved, but not so much with me. There's there's a bunch of youngsters who had hiked up two and a half miles to a, to a hot spring. And uh, they, they hiked up at, at 8 o'clock at night. And at 1230, several parents who were, who were not in condition to hike the trail uh, were wondering where their kids were. And so one, one of the kids was mine. So I said, oh, I'll, I'll mount the rescue expedition. So I hiked up the trail, headed to my tent to pick up the flashlight, and a tree leaped out of the darkness and hit me in the eye and scratched my retina. So I... Uh, uh, had to oh. had to run the the river for two days with uh, with my eye patched up. So so you were under the hood. I really was. <laughs> I was, or I certainly was without stereo vision, running rapids and uh, stereo vision. Wow, it, scratched a, a scratched a scratched retina or cornea is nothing to laugh about. That's uh quite. That's one of those um, painful and annoying like injuries you can get. You well, feel you know, it every time but, you blink and stuff, it's uh. Well, you know, and the, the uh, I, we had a nurse on the trip, so I had and with uh, some sterile ophthalmic lubricant drops, so that was good. But one of the things is my dad, when I was a kid. In fact, when I got my pilot's license, one of the factors uh, that was complicating was my dad uh, was working on a set of brakes in the garage and got a sliver of metal in his eye, and in, in 24 hours, he had a staph infection and lost his eye. Uh, oh. So I mean, there was a there was a little bit of deja vu going on there because not only did my dad then have to take his check ride for his private pilot, uh, he had to take it with a, a the FAA guy and specifically verifying that as a one eyed pilot uh, he could uh, you know had mastery of the skills and was safe. So just imagine you know if you're taking your check ride for your private, but you're also one eyed. Uh, you know, and he passed. So he, he did get his, <laughs> his private certificate with one eye. So see, I could do that with one eye. <laughs> <laughs> now for that, did he have to get a soda, uh statement of demonstrated ability? 
and I think that's what my dad must have had to ha- get for the one eye thing. Is mm-hmm. um, again, it's now. Now, is the soda from the medical guy, or is that from the guy doing the check? That's ride? from an FAA ro- inspector, I think. Yeah. Yep. So it's from the from the examiner. Yeah. Well, not even a DPE, but an actual FAA inspector. Right, exactly. And that's one thing is you don't get to go to a DPE. You do have to go to the FAA guy on that one, or at least that's the way it was when my dad did it. So, and uh, But the, the nice thing was, despite the fact that I think it's a little more intimidating, uh, the reality is uh, the FAA, in its infinite wisdom, actually does have allowance for the fact that, hey, look, we don't all have the same number of fingers, toes, eyes, Ears, you know, there are pilots of varying uh, uh, confirmations in terms of our bodies and how they function, and and some of them do interfere, but can be uh, compensated for, and uh, as a result, you can get the ticket. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you definitely should not, you know, write off the fact that you can't fly just because you know you have a disability of any particular kind, because a good chunk of them uh, can be dealt with. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I, I keep, I'm constantly being sent YouTube videos of kids who don't have arms or, or don't have legs, um, getting their private pilot's license and flying and they're out there flying Cirruses and, <laughs> and stuff, which, uh, is quite impressive. There's also organizations like Able Flight that, uh, specialize in scholarships for disabled people and whatever their disability might be and getting a sport pilot license. And in that well, case, that, yeah. if you've got a driver's license, that qualifies from a medical perspective as long as you can, you know, function and control it and, uh, and have command of your, your abilities in the plane, then that's perfectly fine. Product review. With our product review this time, we've got Mike who's going to talk about the Spot Satellite Messenger. So, yeah, the Spot Satellite Messenger is... Um, it's really not specifically designed for aircraft. It uh, is designed for general purpose outdoors, uh, self-rescue and or notification. But uh, its avi- aviation applications are, are, are pretty obvious. And, and therefore, for that reason, it's, it's sold um, widely in aviation, uh, any place that sells aviation equipment, basically. Um, for those not familiar with the spot, it's basically a small GPS device, runs on AAA batteries, and um, what it does is uh, it tracks where your location is with a GPS, but has the ability to link up with those GPS satellites and send a message back through them and then out to uh, a system, a network, basically, that will then inform those who you have preordained to receive the message uh, of your either A, I'm okay, B, a, uh, an alternative message, or C, send in, send in lawyers, guns, and money, get me out of here. Uh, basically, a, <laughs> the, the GPS equivalent of 911. Uh, uh, we'll the use the lawyers works. for fodder. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, uh, the system's really cool. I mean, I I bought bought it specifically for GV, uh, for aviation, uh, and I there's an older version, and then there there's a new version that has the the original Spot Messenger 
only gave you one message, which was either I'm okay, uh, and, and the okay button, uh, you can pre-program what that okay message is and, and, the, the, and who that okay message goes to. So the okay uh, is basically for me, I, I have it where I can, it will send a text message and an email message to as many email or parties as I choose to inform. Uh, for me, I, I just have it send my wife a message saying, I'm okay. Uh, the newer version of the spot has a second message. So you can say something like, uh, in, in my case, I've basically said, uh, things are not going as fast, uh, you know, things are going slow. Uh, we'll be able to contact you before the end of the day. So in other words, basically informing somebody that, uh, in my case, I, I'm choosing to use that secondary message to b- say I'm delayed, but, uh, things are going okay, just slow. Uh, and then uh, again, you have the rescue option, which when you press that, uh, and I'm, I'm going to be, a, this is the one place where I'm going to be a little bit vague, which is, uh, there are two different rescue options. I think on the, the spot two, one is you can notify your rescue service and the other is to notify the official, uh, official rescue folk. Um, the advantage of that is that, uh, uh, the 911 option, you can pre-program it to notify people who you want to do to do your rescue. So I could uh, have it notify a friend who's now going to take the responsibility uh, for executing my rescue, uh, as opposed to it truly calling the sheriff, in which case you may be responsible for all the uh, cost of the rescue. So the the upside of the being able to control who gets that 911 call uh, is that you may be able to control some of your costs. Uh, and then one of the other benefits is that you do have options uh, when you, subs- you you buy the spot, which is a hardware uh, item, but then you also have options of subscribing uh, to various levels of service. Uh, one of those being a rescue insurance option. So you have the ability to, if you press the button, you're basically calling your insurance agent, come rescue me at your expense. Uh, And that for a few dollars more, you get that, that service. Uh, So those are, those are among the many benefits. The other thing is uh, there's a button for tracking. So when you're just out joyriding and flying, you can hit the track button and it will maintain a GPS profile of uh, basically pinging from time to time the GPS satellite showing your location, and then you can reconstruct your flight afterwards, which is kind of a cool feature. And all that's retrievable after the fact. You can share it with friends. You can share it with on a, G, uh, a Google Earth file. There's lots of different ways that information can be harvested and used. Uh, in terms of disadvantages, uh, one of the challenges for me is the pre-programmed messages are, uh, there's some limitations. The fact is I went on a whitewater raft trip for eight days in the wilderness. So I wanted to be able to, you know, you have to go in and say, I might want to change the rescue me message from when I'm an aviation in an aviation setting. So uh, you have to go in and manipulate that or, or pick your messages carefully so that they apply across all your different potential scenarios where you may use it. Uh, another thing that I found a little bit clunky is the website. You have to log in, you have to put, uh, it, it's, 
it's not as uh, intuitive a website as I would like to see it uh, when it comes to being able to get to the maps, get to share your maps, get to your profiles. Uh, there are way too many clicks for my uh, judging of how a website ought to function. And so that's one of those things where, yeah, if it were up to me, I would design their website with a few less uh, clicks through to get to the uh, information. And, uh, and likewise, again, you know, to, to log in and change your uh, settings as to what your, your different primary and secondary uh, messages are. Again, I, I'm being a real whiner here in that I, uh, you know, I would like to just go to the website, have it bookmarked, but instead I have to log in and then find it. And it, and it, it always seems buried in, in, in a lot of clunky website design. So, so that's, that's my big complaint. But in, term, in terms of liking it, I love the security of having a spot uh, satellite messenger because uh, I do know that I can tell my wife I'm okay when I've landed at a backcountry runway that has no other options uh, for communication. I also can tell her, uh, hey, I'm not going to talk to you tonight, but I'll talk to you within the next eight hours. Uh, and then I could also retrieve uh, uh, kind of the footprint of or the, the the track of my adventures and reconstruct it for later. And then the other thing is obviously I do a lot of backcountry hiking and boating and other other stuff besides flying. So it has utility outside of aviation that adds additional security. So that's the the spot satellite messenger in a, in a nutshell. Uh, the first unit I received actually was a uh, recall and I had to send it back. And then the second one worked just peachy keenaroo and the battery seemed to last. So is it akin to like a Garmin 296 and like look and design? Does it have like a, a, a display and screen? Is it in color? Nope. Nope. You do not get it. It is a bare bones. Uh, basically you don't see the GPS. You actually don't, it is strictly a, uh, uh, it's almost like an ELT. Uh, okay. So it, it's an ELT that has a GPS fix. So it's very similar to what the, the new, uh, now that 121.5 is being uh, uh, phased out. Uh, and if you go to the, uh, the upgraded, uh, I can't remember what the 401, is it 401? Uh, 406. 406 megahertz uh, system. You know, it, it uses a GPS system to tell uh, uh, the rescuers where you are. And this is very similar. You don't really get to use it as a GPS, but as a result, that's why the batteries last forever because it's not feeding a display. Uh, and you do get confirmation. So if I hit OK, uh, it'll flash the GPS button and my OK button. And then once the email is sent, it, it flashes either a red light, which says, no, that email didn't go through or the, your emergency message didn't go through. You know, if you're under too many trees, don't have good view of the satellites, uh, then that will uh, be your problem. Uh, but it does verify. But if you do get your message off, then it gives you a, a flashing green light, which basically says message is sent, uh, which is sort of a confirmation that helps on the way or. Uh, you've just told your wife that you're okay and, or your, or your spouse, your husband, your wife, whatever, uh, significant other. I have heard tell of, uh, a guy that, uh, was based at, and this is all kind of, uh, 
secondary information. I didn't hear it directly, but uh, Guy and McCall uh, did have a, a problem on a backcountry runway and uh, hit the secondary option. And within 15 minutes, the the folks at McCall were uh, flying towards the place where he was and, and took care of him. Uh, the complaint I've heard from rescue organizations is it short circuits them. You know, instead of CAP being uh, dispatched to fly a rescue mission or the sheriff being notified, uh, a rescue is, is basically mounted by your friends uh, and you're kind of, it's sort of an off-grid rescue. In other words, you know, if you're having an issue and it's not warrant, doesn't warrant 911, but you're, let's just say you have a magneto go out at a, a backcountry runway and you, know, you can uh, send a message to a friend, hey, it's not an emergency, but I really could use a, a hand. That, and that's the challenge is you have to pre-program what your number one emergency rescue and number two uh, I need help options are. So you have to kind of think in advance what are those messages because you only get two shots at it, at what your primary and secondary buttons will send so how much does all this cost uh you know i i think it was around it was under 200 bucks for the uh for the spot uh so it's cheaper than a a personal beacon uh cheaper than the brightling watch with a little elt in it yeah (laughs) i think my car is cheaper than that (laughs) let me find out what what one of those little bad boys costs I actually have one of the first generation spots that a friend gave me when he upgraded to the second generation. Ah. And uh, I confess I've never actually used it. I turn it on when I fly, but I've never actually used the okay because I'm not sure where it goes or what it says. Um, I really carry it in case I need the 911 button. Well, and the uh, the okay button, you have to subscribe to get the benefits of that. So I think the 911 button... And this is where I get a little bit vague because uh, you have a couple different options. And, and that's my problem is it's the options are s- somewhat complicated as to how they work. Not complicated in a, in a it, it's technically difficult to master. It's complicated into, okay, how would, if I only get to use this one message, what am I going to say? And then who is this going to? Is this going to the sheriff or is this going to, uh, it's one of those things where you have to kind of, mentally plan it out and, and, and keep in, in mind what it is that you're, you're doing. And you, you do that, then you, you know, I, I programmed it all and knew all that stuff and then put it in my, uh, my flight bag and forgot how it all works because I don't use it that frequently. So 150 bucks is what, uh, what the current spot to, and it looks like going to the website, which is findmespot.com. They now have a, a newer model, a smaller, thinner model as well. So I seem to recall that I paid $100 for an annual subscription, so I'm not sure. What and, and that's what it, I think that's, a, that's about. You know, the thing is there's lots of different options. You can get the uh, an insu- various levels of insurance where if you were to request a rescue it, and you use the spot that it's fully covered, you know, all rescue costs are kind of paid out of the insurance. Um, you know, again, when you, when you subscribe, there are lots of, they've gone from just being a very simple system to being uh, a system with lots of a la carte items you can add. The interface is a bit clunky. 
but not horrible. I mean, I, I, I say clunky in that I just like things to be one or two clicks away and I have to go four or five clicks and passwords and then get shunted off to a whole new website when I want to track where I'm, you know, my own personal map. It's Spot Adventures. So it's a whole different website. It's like, oh, guys, come on, just keep it simple. But, but still a handy little item. And, um, you know, I also have the... Uh, uh, the personal locator beacon, the PLB, uh, as well, which definitely, you know, the, the disadvantage of the spot and and the, the PLBs is, you know, you have to be conscious. There's, uh, unlike the uh, ELTs, you know, there's not an accelerometer that triggers it. But uh, at the same time, uh, there have been a number of accidents up in the in the backcountry where the planes flipped over and covered the ELT. So the signal was pretty much, you know, beaming straight into the ground with an airplane over the top of it. So, so even the old ELT with a accelerometer isn't necessarily a guarantee you'll be rescued. Featured site. Stu's got our featured site this time, and what is it? Uh, featured site this episode is uh, LuisMontero.com. It's a f- uh, free online flight sim for your instrument training. And it's, uh, it's a, a very detailed, very uh, flushed out sim, I think, for f- being pretty free. Um, they have a paid uh, version for $40 you can download or try it for a week. But uh, the online flash uh, base simulator is very intuitive and really nice if you just take your laptop up to the flight school. Um, there's good VOR simulators. You uh, basically can position your aircraft in between an NDB and several VORs. You can set up where everything is and um, set your airspeed and wind and directions. And you can do everything from shooting approaches to tracking to and from VOR radials and uh, MDB uh, headings and bearings. And um, uh, I recommend it. I have used this in the past uh, at uh, American Flight, uh, I'm sorry, at U.S. Flight Academy on my laptop with my students before when I was trying to explain uh, certain VOR procedures and uh, to help uh, my students with their um, situational awareness. So it's, um, uh, it's all in full color, works great, um, and the, the best part is it's free. So check it out. And that was LuisMontero.com, and it's spelled a little funny, so uh, you probably want to check the show notes, but it's L-U-I-Z-M-O-N-T-E-I-R-O.com. But again, right. check the show notes, and you'll get the full spelling on that. And I found it, you know, it, I think that the uh, the sim, particularly for VORs, is if you're having any issue trying to lock in or understand, um, you know, just how to look at a VOR needle and understand where you are based on looking at the needle and what the orientation of the aircraft is, uh, it does a great job of giving you a way to game with that. And then importantly, it also is a chance for you, you know, if, if an instructor was like, if you're having any issues with, you know, why, you know, what's reverse sensing? How do you get reverse sensing? Or, you know, when is it, is the, 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 the VOR going to flip when I'm, you know, 
not really going to fly over the VOR. When is it going to flip? How is it going to flip? Depending on where your location is with respect to the VOR, it's just a great way to kind of see how in a simulated world, uh, you, you can save a lot of avgas by going to that site. Let's just put it that way. Yes, you can. And um, situational awareness when it comes to VORs is uh, probably the the weak point for most students when trying uh, when trying to learn uh, VORs. Um, case in point, you know, if you're on this radial with this flag indication and this heading, you know, are you north or south of the VOR? If the needle is deflected to the right and you have this flag indication and this heading, are you north or south of the radial? You know, questions like that. Um, you know, basically, here's the VOR, here's the radial, show me where the airplane is in relation to the VOR. Um, these situational questions, the sim can really help with that. And I know that there's a lot of questions like that on the instrument written exam also. And uh, Yeah, I've never noticed sim- any of the... The, the written exam for the instrument, none of the questions have the VOR. Uh, you, know, you, you, you don't have the benefit of being able to grab the OBS and, and rotating it a few times and seeing what's, you know, getting it to center and go, oh, okay, I now know where I am. Right. You it's know, just, they, here's they your just OBS. show it to you deflected you? and you don't get to game with it. You just have to look at it deflected and figure out, am I reverse sensing or am I normal sensing? And then now where am I? Exactly right. So I recommend it. It's hours of fun. And, and like you say, the price is incredibly good. Right. They do offer a full pay, uh, a $40 download version that has a few more features, but um, it actually doesn't have too many more features than the free Flash-based one, but, uh, which, I, which we'll all go and say, because the Flash-based one is so similar, I would go ahead and not recommend the paid version just because you can do this one for free. And it works in Internet Explorer, Firefox, um, Opera, and Netscape. So you Google Chrome people may have a little trouble with it. But seeing as I'm looking at it right now in Google Chrome, I imagine it works. In Google <laughs> and even though I've, I'm a Mac person and Mac issues flash, it works fine on a Mac too. So Just not on an iPad. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say I don't think I iPhone. Oh, we're not gonna get into that. Nope. <laughs> Three, two, one, fire. Talk wild about anything that flies. It's the Air Pigs Podcast. Check us out at AIRPIGZ.com. Feedback. Emails. Well, this the first one is addressed to all three of us, so I guess I'll read it, and then uh, I'm probably going to push more to you on this one and see if I still to answer. But uh, sure. we have a message from Sergio Palmero. Los Angeles, and he says, Dear Pilot Stu, CFI Stu, and Pilot Mike, I listen to your podcast regularly. I'm 48, a video editor, and I've had a fascination with aviation since I was a kid. I'm not a pilot or even a student pilot yet. I've flown a couple of demo lessons in a PA-28 and a J-3 Cub. Here's my three-part question. 
Is it too late for a guy like me making to make a living in aviation? For example, could I get a commercial pilot license and do things like tow banners or gliders or maybe fly photo surveys, things like that? Am I too old now to get enough hours to where an employer would trust me? Or am I going to run into medical issues as I get older that would make employers or clients uncomfortable? If I can't fly for a living, do you think being a ground instructor is a good path? I understand one can study for the FAA test to be as certified as a ground or advanced ground instructor, and you don't even have to be a pilot. Is there really a need for these types of people, or are they being replaced by DVD and online courses that I see advertised in the AOPA magazines? Or are there other jobs at FBOs, airlines, or airports that you guys think someone my age could try for? Anyway, thanks for letting me ask a long and difficult question. I know how much work it takes to put out a show, and I admire you guys for doing what you're doing. It's an inspiration to a lot of people. From Sergio Palmero. Oh, I'm an inspiration. I like that. Uh, well, I'll go ahead and, and tackle your three-part question, Sergio. Uh, the question is, um, it's, it's not really that uplifting of an answer. Um, yes, there are jobs that you can get. Uh, you mentioned a few. Uh, banner towing um, uh, and... Um, Photo surveys, uh, you can do that. Um, I find that uh, being an aerial photographer in my past, uh, which was actually the first job I ever had, was actually an aerial photographer. Um, I would sit in the back of a Cessna and take photos. Uh, the industry of that seems to be that the people who fly those airplanes, uh, for the most part, actually own the airplane. And they actually own their own Cessna, and they get contracts with people and farmers who go out and say, hey, I want you to take pictures of my land or um, insurance or government wants you to take pictures of these people's lands, make sure that they have the right amount of cows to be considered a farm or something. So uh, we would go out and do that. Um, uh, And it doesn't really pay a lot. That's where this comes in. It's that there's not a lot of money here in these aviation jobs. Um, There is money to be made. I don't know how much money you can make towing banners, but um, uh, being a flight instructor or anything short of an airline pilot, there's really not a whole lot of money. Uh, There are some good jobs out there, though, um, such as aeromedical, um, air ambulance flying. If you get your ratings and you get your hours, um, you could be flying in a King Air or a Citation jet for an air ambulance. Um, You'll have some uh, unusual hours there where it's kind of a, a like a firehouse type atmosphere where you'll actually stay at the hangar while you're on duty for a while and then you'll have certain days off after that. Um, those seem to pay okay amounts of money, but still, again, nothing great. Um, then you have, um, what else? Uh, you have uh, jobs like... Um, agricultural flying, uh, ag pilots. Um, I hear that that job is extremely dangerous though. <laughs> um, I was going to say, so you know, I, there's, a, there's an awful lot of crop dusters. If you really like the thrill of G's, uh, <laughs> gosh, you could move to Idaho. There's a lot of crop duster. I, you know, I haven't really pulled a thread on it, but, uh, I'm assuming, uh, that it, it's kind of, uh, the right stuff that not everybody, uh, is is going to be interested in uh, flying ag ops because of the fact that it's 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 kind of a it's jet jockey uh, pull G's high high performance maneuvers 
Uh, I recently uh, landed at uh, Gooding, which uh, Idaho has a, a cheap, some really, really cheap gas for, uh, for Idaho. And, you know, an ag turbo, uh, ag cat, I think it had a, you know, turbo, turbo prop engine in the front of it, just looked like it was all nose and then sprayer and then, you know, boxy wings. Guy just mm-hmm. goes flying down the runway, you know, 20 feet off the runway, goes to the end, does a teardrop, you know, God, it looked like it had to be a 3G turn for, you know, oh, almost like one of those uh, old oh. style Emmeline moves, right? <laughs> oh, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. That was, that was his, uh, and then you know, came right back on the runway, landed and, uh, you know, coasted to his hangar. Uh, looked like a lot of fun, but yeah, the uh, extremely dangerous because you're flying very low to the ground. You have power lines, obstacles. Mm-hmm. You're obviously uh, exposed potentially to a lot of nasty, evil chemicals. So, uh, looking at the one of the aspects of your uh, of the the question is at my age. Well, you're a couple. You're you're basically within spitting distance of my age. So. Uh, would I consider a career change towards aviation? Uh, I don't think age is going to get you. And in some respects, uh, I would even argue that maybe uh, being 48 and pursuing a career in aviation would force you to stay in good shape. Because, uh, look, you know, unlike a lot of careers, you, know, you really aren't allowed to go to seed and be 300 pounds and have really bad heart uh, and you know, diabetes and all kinds of other medical problems. If you if you go into the world of commercial aviation, uh, you have to stay fit, and, and that or you or your career will be limited by the medical condition. And there's so many other aspects of uh, the medical that uh, you know it really would be an incentive to stay stay in good shape. I, and and I'll agree with Stuart. I, I've I've seen I've talked to a, one of the the hangar when I'm flying up to my office in Richland. Um, the, I share basically the, the hangar that's there is shared with a, a medical op and they fly all kinds of crazy hours. They do tend to stay pretty busy. They had a pull and they fly really nice airplanes. They fly typically a Pilatus BA 12 or a King air or, uh, or helicopters. Uh, those are the three aircraft that are the most common uh, in, in medical ops are either King airs or Pilatus. And uh, all I know is, Boy, I'd love to fly either of those aircraft. Those are ju- they just look they they just look really nice. They they have a lot of performance, a lot of fun, and I will definitely attest to the fact that those guys stay pretty busy, uh, but they also have really interesting shifts. They uh, are on you know maybe it's ten days on, four days off. You you're living at the uh, facility, so you have to be willing to bunk with people and you know hang out with a lot of nurses and. And uh, you you go from periods of not much going on to having to basically scramble get your get your game on and and go to an accident site or do a hospital transfer. So I have uh, to say that there's there's not a lot of job security in air ambulance either because the air ambulance is usually contract based between different companies and. Um, when the contract's up and another company gets it, they may decide that you're no longer qualified or you'll, you'll need to go pay for training or be fired or something that I've heard. Yeah. And that that I can't attest to, I I know the MedStar was the name of the company uh, and they were out of Spokane, Washington, but they had offices. They, they seem to have the the Pacific Northwest wired up pretty well as a, 
if you're in a rural area and there's, you're kind of the sole source provider and it probably is a little less competitive than in a place like Dallas where I, they probably change your ambulance services like they change their underwear and socks. <laughs> well, another good job that uh, you can do, um, the oil pipeline. Oh, pipeline right. Uh, pipeline running. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, low and fast. Um, if uh, you go fly over the pipes, see if they're damaged. If you find one that's damaged, you fly back to the crew, circle them at low altitude so they know to follow you fly back to the pipe, and then you just dive bomb the pipe uh, where it's broken so the crew can find it. And once they find it, you can fly back. And uh, it's quite fun. I hear it pays pretty well for these aviation jobs, relatively well for these aviation jobs. And there's a whole bunch of them out here in West Texas. <laughs> but uh, And then getting to your flight instructor, uh, you can make a lot of money as a flight instructor if you're willing to spend several years um, making nothing, <laughs> pretty much. Um, chief flight instructors, um, uh, senior um, or chief assistant flight instructors, uh, all, these, all these flight instructors make good money. And some flight schools even pay salary with 401k bonus uh, benefits and, and such. So you can make a good career out of flight instructing, but starting out, it's, it's really horrible. You, you make, uh, you get paid by the hour only when you fly. So for instance, I was told to schedule 10 hours with my students and maybe I would get eight hours of pay out of that 10 hours. And for those 10 hours, I had to be at that flight school. So students don't show up, you lose money, you don't fly. Because of this, you start getting in this mentality of milking your students for money, making them fly more than they should just because you need the hours. And um, uh, uh, the whole uh, flight instruction industry is based off the fact that um, you're there just to build hours and to move on to another job anyway. So they really overwork you, underpay you because they think you're just going to leave anyway. Flight instruction really um, is a means to an end. Um, but, uh, you can absolutely find a job flying. Um, they, uh, uh, I say that being unemployed at the moment, I'm actually looking for something. I just, my problem is, is I can't really move or go anywhere. I have to find something nearby. <laughs> so well, you know, one of things that I, 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 there's two additional, um, thoughts on, on careers in aviation. Well, three, uh, maybe even five. Uh, lots of different ways you can go with it. One is uh, if you're really interested in being adventuresome, um, you know, I just read in AOPA uh, that China is, and, and India both are, uh, you know, these are two developing nations that really don't have a general aviation industry or a general aviation community. Uh, and you think about that there, they suddenly are in a position where they, they, they're very large countries, very remote countries, and they don't really have a GA infrastructure, uh, but they suddenly have an in, infusion of wealth uh, and people who are interested in, uh, in being able to do that. And then potentially a whole novel set of rules and regulations. But, you know, so if you really want to go truly a uh, crazy adventure, I think, uh, geez, if you wanted to learn how to, if you could learn Mandarin and start teaching, uh, <laughs> and I, I realize that's really out there, but I actually view that as a, 
something that where you could have probably make really good money because there probably aren't a lot of people who are trained and understand flight instruction and know uh, Mandarin. And then you'd also have to be willing to learn uh, whatever the evolving rules and regulations that will, will inevitably take, take hold as uh, both China and India uh, become more developed and, and create a GA infrastructure. And then going back well, to Texas, there's, there's also a crazy, uh, uh, the idea of getting a helicopter rating. The, uh, there's uh, probably more legs uh, with a helicopter rating being able to, uh, you know, in addition to flying pipelines, then you also get to fly out to, uh, well, let's see, where, where BP has spat all its oil all over the Gulf. They, all those uh, drilling platforms, although maybe that's not such a good career move now, given that uh, uh, there won't be as much traffic while the moratorium on drilling is occurring. But uh, uh, I know that there's a lot of, there were a lot of jobs in, in flying uh, oil runs out to the, the Gulf, you know, all, all the offshore stuff. Well, you have also, again, uh, helicopters really big in that aeromedical also. And True, yeah. uh, uh, police, uh, police helicopter flying is um, kind of big. There's a lot of police uh, sightseeing. You can do sightseeing tours. Um, but, and you're you coming in on a, a, that and uh, news. Uh, a good chunk yep. of the people who are qualified in uh, helicopter operations uh, you know, cut their teeth in Vietnam and at age 48, you're between generations. So the people who've um, learned their, uh, you know, who've flown helicopters out of Vietnam, those guys are all on the retiring end of their age cohort. And uh, so there's a gap between those and the folks who are coming out of the, the current set of wars that we have going that have been training up helicopter pilots. So he asks, um are there jobs at FBOs or airlines that you think someone at my age could try for? And I say, yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, especially FBOs. There's, uh, uh, if you like, uh, detailing out other people's airplanes and filling up their aircraft for them. Uh, there's several FBOs. I'm sure that they will hire you <laughs> for that. Uh, it's probably a good way. Once you get your ratings, that could actually be a good way to meet people and maybe actually get behind a, eventually get behind a citation jet or a Cessna of some kind. Well, since you, he indicated he's a video editor, uh, she's just specializing in learning. Uh, there, there's all, there's a Tyler mount. There's all these gyro stabilized, uh, video, uh, things for the motion picture industry, uh, that require somebody who both understands the video world as well as understands flying. So, I don't know how many jobs that you're getting really into a niche there, but uh, I'm looking at, at doing a research, some research on uh, using infrared uh, cameras for wildlife detection. And uh, you know, I need, we'll need a, and I'm, I'm obviously thinking about potentially, you know, using my own situation to own the aircraft and, and mount all this stuff to, to my own system. But uh, having a gyro stabilized, um, uh, platform for video cameras or infrared cameras. Uh, you know, you, you have to ha- start with money where you can invest in uh, equipment and to try to make a living. But to be honest, that whole following your dream, if you really want to be around airplanes, there's a lot of ways you don't have to be a pilot. 
Uh, there's a lot of ways to, to kind of leverage what you are good at. If you're a video editor, just sort of just start angling towards companies that specialize in video, you know, uh, video equipment that goes on aircraft and gyro stabilized mounts. And there's a lot of stuff in Hollywood and a lot of, a lot of folks who, who rent helicopters for, for aerial photography uh, that probably if they had a video editor on board on their staff, they might be able to do, you know, have greater capabilities. So you don't necessarily have to be the guy behind the controls to have a, a career in aviation. So, so Stu, what do you think about the uh, certified ground instructor or advanced ground instructor without being a pilot? I, I would have a hard time viewing somebody without a, a pilot's license as credible as an instructor. Well, um, it's basically the same rating. Uh, yeah. I mean, if I had a choice between somebody who's flown and somebody who says, I'm a ground instructor, but, you know, at some point it comes out that they, they aren't a pilot, and it's like, eh. Well. I, w- I would have a hard time with that. Well, I th- that's actually a good question. Can you get your advanced ground instructor license without being commercially rated? Yeah. You don't even have to have a pilot's license at all. Wow. Well, I would have a hard time taking someone seriously with that. Um, I do know that I any flight school that I've been to would not hire a person with just that rating. I know for a fact they wouldn't. So, um, so f- finding one who actually has has work with just the advanced ground instructor is going to be very hard. You'd probably start your own business maybe with that rating, maybe. Maybe you can do like an on, online um, consultating something business or consulting is what I was trying to look for. Thank you. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, really the advanced ground instructor and um, instrument ground instructor ratings are really for people who have retired, who no longer can fly or exercise the flight portion of their CFI certificate and still teach. So um, I think that's what those those ratings right, are so initially that, for. So, so it's the benefit if you do lose your medical. So if you go to see mm-hmm. or and or just plain old get old, which, mm-hmm. gosh, I don't plan that on having that happen to me. Right. Well, hold it. Wait, <laughs> I do want it to happen to me. I'm, I'm planning mind. on it Never happening, but I don't mind. want it to. But, uh, yeah, so um, uh, Sergio, uh, basically, um, seeing as you're not a student pilot yet, go ahead and get your, your student pilot certificate, which is your medical. So go see an FAA medical examiner. And uh, um, that's a great first step in seeing uh, um, if you want to be a pilot or not. Um, uh, after that, uh, start logging some hours, maybe find an instructor, just play around, enjoy flying. Maybe, maybe you have a fascination with aviation, but you may be prone to extreme motion sickness or something where flying isn't fun for you. So I suggest just Find a way to get in the air um, first. Uh, really decide if this is what you want to do because if it is, um, I'd say go all for it. Find a job uh, in, in flying um, because uh, I'm a f- uh, firm believer in doing what you uh, doing work that you enjoy. So um, regardless of how well it pays. Well, so, you know, uh, one, one last one last note is that the fact is that just palling about with people in aviation. Uh, it selects for a cohort of folks who are often captains of industry. I mean, if you're going to get a, if you're going to make a net, if you're going to do be around pilots for networking alone, 
uh, you know, your chances are, even if you just retain your current career as a video editor, um, you're being around pilots, you're going to be among people who might have projects. So if you go freelance as a video in, in the video world, uh, you have a better chance of scoring clients uh, being around aviators than you do being around folks uh, in a lot of other career paths or a lot of other uh, networks. So it's it's really a great network of people to hang out with. Plus, to be honest, anybody who's in aviation, they're 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 pretty much entertaining folks. They're it selects for a good crop of folks. Mike, why don't you take the next email? All right. All so right. this is from um, uh, Jonathan Whitehead. Uh, just recently found your podcast and really am just intrigued by how friendly and pilot community is. And, hey, see right there, just just validation. Uh, I finished up my private certificate last May of '09, but uh, fortunate or not, my wife has uh, been accepted into a full-time nursing program earlier that spring, and my flying money now goes to pay for her tuition. Uh, I have only flown twice since I got my certificate. She finishes up in May of 2011. I hope to fly again between now and then uh, as not to go too much without getting in the air. Uh, and like so many others, it is my drug of choice. Ooh, got to like that. Yeah, uh, amen. I was very confident uh, new pilot with a very stringent set of personal limitations. I did very well on my check ride. My DPE even mentioned uh, to the club that I was uh, uh, with that I was one of the better ones he had had since uh, had seen in a while. Now, saying all of that is to say that when I start back, I still want to go up with an instructor. Uh, does that sound like a waste of money, or do I, or would you recommend that as well? I would like to know and what kind of thing or. I would like to know what kind of things I should be doing to keep my knowledge up. And is there anything such as flying sim like Microsoft Flight Simulator to practice procedures? Uh, thoughts, comments, please, uh, Jonathan Whitehead. So uh, definitely, I would say, uh, you know, we, we started out the podcast talking about uh, Stu's uh, commercial and how just in a few weeks your skills degrade. I I think flying, uh, being a pilot is definitely a degrading skill. There's no question about it that uh, from week to month to, to multiple months, uh, you do lose your proficiency. That said, uh, I went for 23 years uh, after getting my pilot's license, flying 100 hours uh, or thereabouts, and it, it is still somewhat like riding a bicycle. I mean... Uh, uh, a lot of things had changed for the tw- in the 23 years that I'd gone uh, completely without flying. Uh, GPS came on board. The rules had changed. I had to relearn all the stuff that I n- once knew about. Uh, so I basically had to kind of go back through my entire private pilot, but it was much more accelerated. Uh, I could do it on my own time and, and relearn all the rules of airspace and, and the FAR and all that sort of stuff. Uh, getting back into the air, I think there's almost a rule. There was a, I, and Stu, help me out. There's a rule of thumb that for every year uh, you have not flown is uh, at least an hour with the CFI recouping it. I'd say more than that. Oh, kind probably of more than that. The flying is a is a big depreciable skill, and um, it goes out the window really quick. And um, uh, your biennial is uh, every two years. So I, I don't know. 
It depends on you. Uh, if you, if you, uh, it depends on the instructor and how much the instructor costs. Um, I don't think I wouldn't try going with the instructor immediately. Uh, seeing as you're still within your biennial, I would try to find someone maybe in your club who is current, uh, spe- specifically current to take passengers up, maybe with a private license, and have him act as pilot in command of the aircraft as you kind of take off and re-familiarize yourself with the airplane and landing and flying. And if something, if you get a little too crazy, maybe he can take over and land the airplane for you. Um, well, you know, and actually that's, that's one of the things that I, my, what's funny is the, that rule of thumb, my, uh, I heard that from somebody, but uh, when I got back in, I, I flew a lot of hours right seat basically with somebody else who had, who had, their, had just a recently minted ticket. So I think uh, one thing you can do is just go hang out at a flight club and just be a passenger because, to be honest, a lot of the skill is just the whole seeing how the attitude of the airplane, the, the airspace you're flying in, how the learning a, a, a new cockpit and how the, uh, the avionics work. Uh, you know, uh, one of the reasons my uh, my – long belated BFR went real well was the fact that I think I, I probably had 20 or 30 hours right seat, uh, flying, uh, uh, missions with another pilot before I, I realized it's like, you know, I should be, I should be in the left seat. So that's when I finally got back into it. So I think one of the things is just wherever you're, even if you can't afford to fly on your own right now, because you're putting your wife through nursing school, that doesn't mean you can't get up. Uh, and and being in an aircraft, even if you're not PIC, is is a goes a long way towards maintaining proficiency, or at least keeping you from getting too rusty. I would I would recommend uh, to get back on the horse again. I would recommend um, getting your POH or getting a POH, uh, memorizing the V speeds again in case you've forgotten the V speeds. Finding a safety pilot who can act as PIC for you. Go out and um, Maybe do three takeoff and landings uh, to get your your kind of your passenger currency up again, and um, after about that, it will start coming back to you. Um, uh, you don't need to know how to do all the maneuvers immediately. Um, you might want to go out and practice some emergency procedures. If that's the case, um, if you think that you you won't be able to recover from a stall, then in that case, I would recommend going with the instructor and just going over some maneuvers. But um, you may be surprised how quickly it comes back, but you won't be as you won't be as good as the as the pilot who passed with the DPE. I can tell you that much. One thing to Jonathan's credit is he is still immersing himself in the aviation culture. Uh, he's listening right. to podcasts. He's reading uh, magazines. I suspect uh, the, the flight simulator thing. It's not flying. Uh, it's great for procedural things. It's great for getting the excitement up and that kind of thing, but it's not really flying. So for the tactical standpoint and the sight picture, it, it, it doesn't substitute for the real thing there, but it's but fun. At the same time, well, I was going to say, yeah. the other thing is, you know, if you, if you, if you went to the flight sims, not just with, for the sake of just doing the, going through the motions, but if you sort of like, okay, I'm going to start learning, I'm going to try to do maneuvers. I'm going to do a commercial maneuver. Or I'm going to start practicing for an instrument. So you have a mission when you're on the flight sim, as opposed to just logging time. And, uh, you know, if you, if you go do the flight sims with a mission, I think they may, you may get more out of it. 
shout-outs. Shout-outs. Mike, do you have any shout-outs? Yeah, I'm going to do a shout-out to uh, Nolan Getzinger. Uh, I recently got uh, elected to be the District 6 uh, Director for the Idaho Aviation Association, which basically is essentially a volunteer position. Uh, but that position was held for, gosh, 20 years by uh, Nolan. Uh, Nolan's been in and out of aviation as a – he's worked at the aircraft, air, airport here uh, – but it's it was really clear when I uh, was announced to to be assuming this position uh, that they were really going to miss Nolan. That's my big shout out. Well, I have one for Ethan Jacoby. He uh, had a podcast called Uncoordinated Flight during his training time, and uh, once he got his ticket, he kind of let that uh, pod fade a little bit. But I recently reconnected with him and found out that he's currently building an RV seven, and uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing him complete that project. Nice. Stu, any shout-outs? <laughs> yeah, I would like to give a shout-out to all our new followers on Twitter and our Facebook page. Um, it seems to be, the Facebook page seems to be growing, and um, uh, Pilot Stu seems to be doing a great job updating the Facebook page with um, our latest links and show notes, uh, or links to our latest show notes when we have a new podcast come out. And... Um, it seems like every day we're getting more and more followers. Um, Facebook makes it really easy to uh, suggest it to your friends. So um, go ahead and click that link and, um, and help the uh, Pilot's Journey community grow. journey podcast we'd love to hear your comments questions or experiences you can reach us at our website at www.pilotsjourneypodcast.com you can also get your comments played on the show by emailing an mp3 or leaving a voicemail at 469-277-2359 you can follow me as pilot stew that's stu on twitter facebook or mytransponder.com you can reach me on Twitter or my transponder as CFI Stu. It's S T E W. Also at CFI Stu.com. And you can follow me on Twitter or my transponder as ID Mike or at uh, November225Mike.com. Or you can follow us collectively on Twitter or Facebook as Pilot's Journey. Subscribe to the Pilot's Journey podcast in iTunes, the Zoom Marketplace, or at thevoicesinyourhead.com. Also, please consider leaving your comments or rankings so that others can find the show. Please note that this podcast is intended for informational and entertainment purposes only. Please consult your own qualified flight instructor before attempting anything discussed in this podcast. And remember to enjoy the journey. Find this and other great shows at the Aviation Podcast Network. The Voices in Your Head.com.